0: Hello and welcome. My name is Jack Clabby. I'm a shareholder at Carleton Fields. We're recording this podcast as part of the sound advice series for the American Bar Association. We're gonna talk today about this concept of a civil rights audit, sometimes called a corporate culture risk assessment. The ABA section of litigation sponsored this podcast series and I'm recording it uh, as co-chair of the class action subcommittee of the securities litigation section. Uh, I've been with Carlton Fields for about eight years. I'm a former assistant U.S. attorney in New Jersey. I work on securities litigation and internal investigations. So to draw in for this particular podcast, um, a real expert in the field, we've got my partner, Simon Gaugish. Simon was an assistant U.S. attorney with the Middle District of Florida for over 10 years before joining Carlton Fields. He was He held a number of roles. He was the chief of the economic crime section. Uh, And I think when he joined Carlton Fields, he was the deputy chief of the criminal division had sort of supervisory authority over about uh, 80 or so uh, federal prosecutors. Now he works with individuals and he works with companies who are under investigation by the Department of Justice, the SEC uh, and other federal uh, agencies. He also works in the context of internal investigations across public and private companies nonprofit and education institutions. So Simon, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for to, having se- to set the table for what we're going to talk about, I mean, I think really two areas where we've seen discussions of these internal reviews. The most recently has been the SEC's activism and, and beginning of its enforcement activities for ESG or environmental, social and governance disclosures. But also, I mean, we've done these for even longer than that. And I think the last big wave of them came with that focus maybe four or five years ago on event-driven securities litigation, sort of cultural parts of it related to the Me Too movement, environmental parts of that related to the California wildfires and some flooding, also the social component of that uh, with the killing of George Floyd. So I'm glad we have you here today to talk to the folks here in the section of litigation about about these corporate culture reviews or these um, civil rights audits. So just to kind of start, What is a sort of a high level, Simon, a civil rights audit?
1: Well, thanks, Jack. Uh, Broadly speaking, uh, a civil rights audit or corporate culture review, they sometimes, those those terms are somewhat interchangeable. It's an independent objective assessment of a company's policies, practices, and services, but viewed through the lens of equality, uh, racial and gender uh, equality and diversity.
0: So, does we need break to be, that down? <laughs> yeah, we, does there need to be like a prompt for it? What what gets something like this started? Is, is it useful for every company, or is it the sort of thing that needs a prompt to really kick it into higher gear?
1: I, I think it's useful for every company, um, and and how these come about it it varies. Uh, first, it, a corporate culture review or civil rights audit might be prompted by an event. Uh, there might be some type of of incident or event. Like in the case of Starbucks, uh, there was an incident where two African-American men tried to use the bathroom at a Starbucks. Uh, They were treated unfairly. And that caused uh, the company to to look inward and say, can we change our policies and practices here? So sometimes it's event-driven. Other times, and, and that could be something external. Sometimes it's internal. Um, Actually, I think oftentimes it's internal. It could be that the human resources department has received a complaint um, from an employee, or there is a buzz within the company that there are certain types of practices which are discriminatory. And then third uh, is what I would consider good corporate citizenry. There are companies out there that say, Social justice is important to us, it's important to our employees, it's important to our stakeholders, and we want to make sure that we're living up to those values. Simon,
0: who conducts these civil rights audits, these corporate culture reviews?
1: Well, it's going to depend upon what the actual issue or objective is for the company, because there's, as we're saying here, these uh, corporate culture reviews or, or audits don't come about the same way. So it's going to depend on how it comes about. But there are some general team members that you're going to find on these audit teams. And the first are the white collar practitioners. And I think most folks like you and me, as former federal prosecutors, we also see ourselves as former federal investigators because from our experience, We're used to having federal agents come to our door and ask us to open up investigations and we conduct those investigations with them. So a lot of attorneys in white collar practices as former federal prosecutors, have that investigative component, that investigative experience. So I think they're really a valuable uh, member of the team. But as you would expect, these types of audits are going to implicate employment issues labor issues especially when you're dealing with employee internal types of matters so the employment and labor attorney is oftentimes in an essential team member to these audits
0: all right you've got a maybe a white collar attorney maybe a former aosa you've got a couple of those depending on how large it is you've got one or two or a couple of the labor and employment attorneys because of the unique way that this a risk assessment is being done. What about the composition of the team? I mean, depending on the issues, you probably don't want to send in five men if it's going to be an interview over Me Too um allegations, right? So do you have to be I mean it's an awkward question, you know, but but I think one that a company needs to address. What are your what are your thoughts on that from a from a diversity and staffing and a sensitivity uh, angle?
1: It's a great question actually, because if Your team member, if your team composition is not diverse, and there are different types of diversity, but if they're not diverse and they're supposed to go into this company and determine whether or not it's engaged in discriminatory practices, uh, or its policies, or its treatment of customers uh, is discriminatory, then it's going to be hard to get employee buy in. And it might even be hard to get buy in from management. So I think. First of all, depending upon the type of audit that's being conducted, that should that should in part be the driving force behind how the team is composed. But I think male and female is going to be important. Caucasian minorities um it, it just depends on the circumstances. but having a diverse team is is in my view essential.
0: One of the things that that Simon I know you and I have seen when we've done work like this is how are, how are we being retained and i think so for some of the outside lawyers who are listening to this i mean that's something we we provide options typically to the client i mean basically you could have being retained as counsel for the company fully privileged work product privilege second you could be retained by there's another counsel to the company who's retaining us to work at their direction and then option three is we're being retained typically by other outside counsel almost not as lawyers, but simply as investigators with an assurance of independence in the engagement letter. I mean, does it, is there becoming a consensus or do you think all three of those are still acceptable depending on the circumstances?
1: I think it depends on the circumstances, but I think you're going to find that most civil rights audits are, are going uh, to receive the mandate of the board of directors or the president and CEO of the company. Uh, But what in, in your question is also another kind of interesting issue because as white collar practitioners, we're accustomed to conducting internal investigations. And those investigations, I mean, preserving privilege, preserving work product is essential. Whereas here, I mean, you have to ask yourself, and frankly, the company has to ask itself, what is the driving force behind why it is conducting this audit? And if in part you're conducting this audit to determine whether or not the company's policies, practices, services are discriminatory or have a disparate impact on particular races or genders, but you want to keep that secret, how are... Are you then living up to the values of the company? Um, There could be circumstances where the audit uh, has been triggered by an incident, which is clearly going to uh, flow into civil litigation. And then there might be some considerations at play in terms of what to protect and what not to protect. But I do think ordinarily companies that are engaged in civil rights audits want to publicize want to share their findings and the corrective measures that have been implemented and you can see that frankly in the civil rights audits that had been conducted by Facebook by Uber Amazon just started one a month or two ago and they have agreed to make the findings of that audit public. I think that's the direction these companies are going in.
0: And we've we've done that in our work too with um, uh, historical sexual abuse allegations at private and prep schools, where sometimes when we're hired, it's clear from the day one and in the engagement letter, which is made public, that we're doing this independently. And at the end of it, there's going to be some kind of a report that's released to the public. Like it's a commitment, regardless of where it's going to go, at the outset, that it's going to be shared. And I think when you're on an engagement like that as an attorney, I think it's important to have it in writing between the outside attorneys and the client, that look, from the beginning, everybody agreed this is going to be independent, and it was going to be made public at the end. That way there's no confusion if you know halfway through the investigation, somebody at the entity says, whoa, I don't like these findings, let's bury these. You say, whoa, no, look at my document. We said we were going to go public from the beginning. That saves everybody, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of headache, and it makes it more powerful. One of the problems I know we've seen is when you like let's say you're on a hypothetical investigation where you're reviewing a bunch of regional managers or managers at an entity in sort of middle management, and there's an allegation that of discriminatory discriminatory promotion practices. Right. If you're talking to a number of people who are victims, right, as they self-identify of discriminatory non-promotion, They're going to ask at the end of the interview, what's going to happen next, right? Is this going to get fixed? What's going to happen? But how do you answer questions like that, Simon, when you get questions like that in an interview? And and at this point, you're starting to gel your findings that, yeah, there might have been something discriminatory
1: to these promotions practices. You tell them, we got your back. How do you handle that question? Okay, that the answer to that question actually ties into your earlier comment about the engagement. And, and at the outset uh, of, this, of this podcast, I noted that this needs to be an independent, objective assessment of the company's policies and practices. So it starts actually with the engagement and, and ensuring that this audit team is not going to be used as window dressing. They're not going to be used for PR purposes. The company actually is serious about conducting this audit and taking an introspective look at its policies and practices. Hopefully the company buys into that from the outset. Frankly, hopefully you don't even have to have that conversation with the company, though every attorney conducting one of these audits needs to have that conversation directly just so that there's no misunderstanding. But based on that agreement with whoever the team is receiving their mandate from, when you're in that interview and you're, and you're listening to this employee describe what has happened, what their observations have been inside the company, you can then honestly tell them there's going to be transparency, there's going to be accountability, and we're gonna be honest with you. I think if, if you set the stage right at the beginning of the engagement, then it sets the stage for success throughout the whole audit or the, or the review.
0: Yeah, and that, that, that makes sense, too, because if you keep your comment about the engagement letter, good, too, because then you can say, as the investigator, uh, we're, we've been hired to gather the facts. At the end of our review, we're going to make recommendations. It's going to be up to the company to decide which recommendations to implement. But, you know, their public statements about this process have been very strong. And you can maybe direct them to a public statement. But then at the end, it is up to the company. It's not up to the outside investigators to decide what's going to happen next. And you know, part of the counseling, if we're hired to counsel, we can give to the management or the board of the company is, hey, if you start this process, it's really hard to stop it because if you get 20 managers to share information with outside investigators and then they don't see a change, it's going to be worse than if you didn't start this process in the beginning.
1: That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Well, Once the train starts going down the track, it needs to reach its destination.
0: What, what kind of warnings? I mean, that's the other awkward piece of it. I mean, are there up-john warnings that you give at the beginning of these interviews? Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to balance giving a warning like that, with then trying to generate some, some empathy so that they'll talk to you. But, but where do you, do you think up-john warnings are typically appropriate?
1: It's going to depend on the circumstance. I think it's definitely appropriate when the, the team has little or no doubt that there is going to be civil litigation as a result of some type of incident that yeah. has occurred. And the point of the, of the review of the audit is not just to identify and remedy issues potentially within the company, but it's also to dig deep and find out what happened to then protect the company. And, and frankly, that's a, that could be a circumstance which creates a, a bit of tension uh, between protecting the company in litigation or anticipated litigation, but at the same time, serving the employees, the stakeholders, management, and trying to correct whatever practice brought us to this in the first place. Um, so there are circumstances where I think the upjohn warnings are still appropriate, just like you would give in any garden variety, internal investigation, but that is absolutely a discussion that you need to have as a, as an audit member with the general counsel of the company, with the the CEO or the board, because they have to understand that if we don't conduct these, if we don't provide the appropriate warnings, you're not going to have the same protections you would otherwise have in terms of the information provided by these employees. Yeah, I think
0: it's also at that going back to that engagement letter step, particularly if you're working with a board or with um, a management committee, to tell them at the outset too, you're gonna have communications with us during the course of this, that's okay, or it's not okay. And if you're gonna have communications, here's how to deliver those communications. Because I think there can sometimes be misunderstandings unless it's clear at the outset as to who the outside council really works for and what the nature of the privilege is gonna be when these things get kicked off, because it's not, if you start it as an independent investigation, we are going to release the results. It becomes pretty challenging to back off that later. You can always start with it being a confidential internal review done at the general counsel's direction and then make it later, if you wish, public. But it's pretty hard to start with something that's committed to being public
1: and then back off. That's absolutely right. And, but it does then track back to why are we here in the first place? All right. i mean again if if this is an audit being conducted because the company is trying to be a good corporate citizen and they want to take an introspective look at their policies practices and services then i think the likelihood is you're not going to be giving up john warnings and having that protection on on the front end um but but that's a that's a difficult discussion, but it's a, an essential one to have at the outset.
0: Then that makes sense too for final work product. I mean, I know in a traditional internal investigation that's done defensively, there's a lot of conversation about whether the outside investigator is going to do a report, are they going to do a series of slides, or are they going to just have a meeting where no one takes notes. This is a little different, right, Simon? So for the, a true civil rights audit. Typically, there's going to be something in writing at the end of it, right?
1: There is. I mean, can you give an oral report to, for example, the board of directors? Of course you can. But at the end of the day, the company needs to expect recommendations, precise recommendations from the team. And it might be, frankly, in the company's interest to share those recommendations company-wide, especially if the reason for the civil rights audit is because of uh, practices that employees are aware of, that employees have complained of, uh, if there is just a general ethos or culture of hostility within the company, making those recommendations public uh, within the company or outside is I think gonna be really important. Uh, for the credibility of the company and in which case those are going to be delivered oftentimes in writing and if the company is trying to preserve its brand it may want to publicize those outside the company and to be quite frank if you're going to publicize it in the company it's going to leak out of the company (laughs) especially if it's a large company some if you have, if if you have a lot of angry
0: that. angry people, right? If you have a lot of angry, motivated people. I mean, that's the other part of it is sometimes you do interviews. Maybe you don't find any example. Let's say you're doing a discrimination interview. You don't find uh, you don't find any solid examples of discrimination like you might to bring an action, but everyone's angry. And so maybe your finding is, look, there's a perception of problems, although we didn't find any concrete evidence of problems. So that can almost be just as bad. You're a perception among your regional managers, to go back to that example, that there's discrimination in the promotions practices. So we didn't find any examples that there were, but this perception is a real one. You guys got to fix this. And so it may be something like that, where it's just you started this process. If you don't make any change, uh, there's going to be problems, right? You got to go out there. You got to get ahead of it, even if it's just sort of advertising or making more transparent your promotions practice.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I love that question because that's where credibility Comes in. The the team has to be credible. That's one of the reasons why I like having former federal prosecutors on the team. Uh, In part, I think most people trust federal prosecutors to do the right thing. Uh, It's part of their bona fides. And having them on the team and ensuring transparency through the process allows the team to sometimes deliver that message that notwithstanding the 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 concept or perception that there are practices that are ongoing within the company that may be discriminatory but we did not find actual evidence of that it is essential for that team to have credibility and to be transparent through the process and frankly if that's the outcome that the team reaches it might want to make in some fashion or another it's not just uh, it's potential recommendations, but actually evidence that it reviewed specific findings data it, it, because that transparency will allow the employees within the company to kind of gut check it. And yeah, because they they don't know essentially how that team was hired and they might be suspicious that the team is merely a, just kind of a window dressing you know, PR measure to salvage the company's brand. So again, I, I think that's where credibility comes into play.
0: That's helpful. Simon, so, mean, final thoughts on this as we wrap today about corporate culture reviews and civil rights audits.
1: Couple final thoughts. There are a number of reasons that a company should be conducting these civil rights audits. First and foremost, it's the right thing to do. All right, We live in a diverse society. It's one of the, the strengths that we have. The only way we move forward is together. And I think part of good corporate governance, good corporate citizenry is doing the right thing. Now, if that's, a not, if that's not enough of a motivating force, let me give you the bottom line. This, if, if a company does not care about social justice does not care about whether or not its policies and practices are directly discriminatory or have some type of disparate impact, they are going to lose money, customers, the brand, sponsors. The bottom line is it's gonna hurt the bottom line. So if doing the right thing is not sufficient motivation, that should be.
0: All right, thanks. This is Jack Clabby from Carleton Fields, and we're recording this as part of the American Bar Association's Sound Advice Program. I want to thank Simon Gaugish, my partner for Carleton Fields, who practices in the white collar government investigations and internal investigation space. Simon, thanks so much again for talking with us and sharing with us uh, some of the practices uh, for these uh, civil rights audits.
1: Thanks, Thanks, everybody.